Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, So please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan. It's something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. On today's podcast, we talk to an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, who's been able to break records at all three levels he's been at, has an outstanding track record for developing quarterbacks and doing things that work. And as evidence of that, they led the FCS in TD passes this past year with 41, including 26 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the red zone. So joining me on the podcast, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach at Albany, Joe Davis. Coach, great to have you here talking ball. Thanks for having me on this morning, Keith. Really appreciate it. Well, Joe, before we get into all the great things you're doing on the field, I want to talk a little bit about your coaching journey here. I know you're a former D3 guy, and at the D3 level, that's that's an incredible place to learn because you wear a lot of hats, you do a lot of things, you're learning things both on and off the field. So for you, though, there's there's been that D3 football in your path. But talk to us about you know the beginning here. What's the inspiration for you to become a coach? Well, I think like a lot of us, Keith, I was really fortunate as a young man, you know, in, in college and even fresh out of college to just have some incredible mentors and some guys that, you know, I, we all kind of chuckle about it now, gave me second and third and fourth chances when I'm, I maybe wasn't making the best decisions. But guys who really saw something in me and believed in me, you know, my, my college head coach in, at, at Adrian College, Jim Lyle, was an unbelievable mentor. Uh, my first college job was, was with Paul Winters at Wayne State in Detroit, a Division II school, and he's still there. And then, you know, arguably the greatest mentor that I've had in, in, in all of football just retired from Division Three, and that's Mike Swider at Wheaton College. So I just had some great mentors, some great examples of, of coaches and husbands and fathers and, and guys that, that I was able to kind of get in line with early in my career. So, Coach, as, as you look at some of those guys, and you, you threw some really good names in there, what were the, the lessons 
along the way that really impacted you and as you as you look back on it now have really become part of who you are as a coach well what what you find now and and i mentioned this to to our offensive staff which by the way is probably as good as i've had as a coordinator that really the plays are the plays you know and and when you look across the landscape of college football right now i mean offensively for the most part a lot of people are doing very similar things and what i learned from those guys early in my career is really the details of those plays, how to teach those plays, the techniques involved in those plays, and then in addition, the ability to, to really show genuine love and care for the players on a day-to-day basis really supersedes the greatest scheme that you could ever come up with. You know, And, and I use examples early in my career when, when maybe we had a, a backup player uh, that was forced into action due to injury, and, of course, all the coaches are holding our breath saying, oh, my goodness, we don't know if this guy can do it. But because of the love, the accountability, the brotherhood, the relationships, the investment in techniques from the ground up in that particular player, he went in and surprised everybody. and We, we were able to be successful. So those things, I, you know, I, I just, just even as I've advanced in my career, I try to really be mindful of those things. And it's something even now the head coach that I work for here at Albany, Greg Gattuso, I mean, uh, you know, you talk about someone that, that culture and relationships are of paramount. It's, it's him. So those things I, I would just always encourage coaches. I mean, just never lose sight of it because the, the plays are the plays. And now with the evolution of, of video and media and even great podcasts like this, I mean, schemes and plays are going to be available to anybody, anywhere, anytime. You know, it's really how those are implemented and what the culture derives from that, that allow those things to be successful. I think the the neat part of this is you've proven things now at three levels, division three, division two, the FCS level. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Like we can look at a lot of playbooks around the country, all the different levels. There's going to be similarities, but now it, it comes down to the why and how behind it. So, you know, as an overview, what have been the key things for you to be able to have that success at all three levels? Yeah, that's a great question, and I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, it's amazing, and you know this as, a, as an offensive coordinator, Keith. It's, it's one, of the, one of the most beautiful things because every time that you think you have it all figured out, uh, somebody comes along and humbles you pretty good, and you gotta, you got to rethink the whys and the hows. But, uh, you know, I would go back a little bit, and, and our head coach here at Albany, again, Greg Gattuso, really challenged me on this when he hired me. He said, hey, if you walked into your offensive room right now and asked the players, what are our two go-to runs and what are our two go-to passes? What would they say? And of course I've got every good coordinator answer you can imagine, but, but it's really, it was really a very basic question that struck a chord with me again. Now as a veteran coordinator saying, do the players really know what our keys to this game are, our key runs, our key throws. And, um, and so it really forced me to go back and, and, and I mentioned this uh, in an article yesterday that every coordinator should really have two or three objectives uh, about his offense. And that should fall in line significantly with obviously the head football coach in your program, but to go in on day one of every spring football and every fall camp and say, guys, here's who we are. You know, some years we're going to have better tight ends or some years we're going to have better receivers or faster running backs, all those things come into play, but unmistakably, here's who we're going to be and here's where we're going to hang our hats on. So I, I think finding two or three of those objectives to build your offense around 
and and really as a coordinator and as a play caller everything derives around those three objectives and and you know for us and I've and I've maintained this through the levels um to really have three we wills and the first we will is that we will establish a physical running game using all 11 players we're absolutely going to commit to doing those things uh the second we will is that we will create mismatches using every different personnel grouping formation shift trade that we possibly can to gain a mismatch advantage that we feel from a game planning standpoint. And then the third we will is that we will control the tempo of the football game. And, and uh, certainly uh, no huddle offenses have the ability to, to, to slam their foot in the gas and go fast and all those type of things. To me, in today's world of college football, the best offenses have the ability to control tempo. And so when we want to go fast and we feel like that's going to pressure the defense, we have the ability to do that when we, when we want to pull the reins back, uh, potentially in check with me scenarios, potentially in, in, in quarterback audibling systems, in, in fake tempos. I think there's a lot of different ways you can manipulate that, but we will control the tempo of the football game. And so those three objectives and, and really having the players understand the why, why are we doing these three things? And then the underlying facets of, okay, well, if we're going to run the football, here are our runs. If we're going to create mismatches, well, here's the guys that we're trying to get matched up. If we're going to control tempo, well, here are the two or three tempos that we're really going to we're going to live in these worlds. And having those guys understand it and buy into it, and, and certainly you would hope to go into a room with some of your veteran players and they can communicate those things to you and, and talk about the underlying factors. So, Coach, before you and I recorded, we talked about three kind of big buckets that we're going to focus on today building an offensive identity, efficient game planning, and building the passing game on what the QB does best. And so let's start with that first one, building an offensive identity. And, and this isn't about branding. You know, what, are, what cool thing are we going to call our offense and what logos can we put behind it? I mean, those things are okay. But at the heart of it, that doesn't matter. It's about what you see on the field when you flip on the film. Right. So what are what are you going to say about it as a coach who's running it, that this is our identity? What are other teams going to say about this is the identity of this football team? So how do you build an offensive identity? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would build off just just a little bit of the prior question, you know, and having those three objectives, I, I would take it a step further and say, and this this is of this is of my opinion. Certainly, there's a lot of great coaches with great opinions. And this is of my opinion that in 2019, uh, everything has to be built on the quarterback. And I say this all the time to our offensive staff, you know, we, we can hide, we can hide the left guard that maybe is struggling a little bit. You know, you can hide a, an outside receiver. Maybe if you don't have two or three great ones, you can get away with young tailbacks, I think in today's game, but boy, oh boy, you cannot hide that quarterback. And, and so everything we do as we game plan, as we structure, as we, we create terminology, is going to be built around him. So he has not only the confidence to execute that game plan, but also the freedom within it. And so along the lines of the identity, you know, we're going to be a quarterback-driven offense that's going to rely on the three objectives that I talked about earlier. And what, what I would say around that, and I tell our quarterbacks that this, Keith, is, is that in a 70-play football game, I'm going to do everything I can do to get you in about 50 good plays. That, hey, we got a hat for a hat. Hey, this concept has, has got a good shot against this coverage, and, and we have a chance for an efficient, successful offensive play. Well, there's going to be about 20 or so plays 
that I'm really going to need your help, and I'm speaking to the quarterback. And that might be changing the play. It might be completely audibling a protection. It might be throwing the dang football away. All those things being said, I think when the offense is built to suit the quarterback and the quarterback very early in his career has the ability and has the confidence to execute those things, I think you've got a shot to be good on offense. Not that there's not going to be some growing pains within it early in that guy's career. He's changing protection and he's audible in. And of course, you as a coach, you're standing on the sideline saying, what the heck is this guy doing? And what is he going into? You live with a little bit of that knowing what's going to come out on the back end is a, is a really well-oiled machine and a guy that can operate your system at a high level. Those are, those are definitely things that are going to help your offense be more efficient and not give the ball away, not end up in bad plays. And we all want to do those things for you. What's been the best way to go about teaching those things? Because that, that's the part I think is the secret sauce, right? How, how do you get that quarterback to start to see things as you would see those things, to be able to make the changes that you would make if you were the one inside the helmet? That's a great question. And, and I would, I'm going to talk a little bit about this because this is really true to my heart. And I don't feel like I'm giving away any secrets because I'm sure that everybody does this some, some facet. A uh, great friend of mine who's now the OC at Northwestern, Mike Bajakian, and I really, really wholeheartedly believe in this. And we've talked a lot about this, but there's something that I'm going to be really hard on the quarterbacks early in their career on. And it's called what we call the pre-snap checklist. And that pre-snap checklist starts on the boundary safety. It goes to the field safety. And it finishes with the overhang defender. You know, some folks are calling that guy the Sam or the nickel, however you identify him. But what I'm going to tell the quarterbacks is that in some way, shape, or form, the entire defensive structure is tied to those three players indefinitely, a fire zone, man coverage, all those type of things. And so now we're going to take it a step further and, that, and tell the quarterback that he's going to have what's called a Dell evaluation on each of those three players. Dell stands for demeanor, eyes, and leverage of those three particular players. And what I tell the quarterbacks is, listen, we're going to play the percentages here, guys. Can the defense lie to us? Certainly. Coaches that I've worked with and know how I teach the quarterbacks, and and now I play against them, they're going to teach their back-end guys to try to give us false cues because they know what the quarterback's looking at. But from a general standpoint, when my eyes begin on that boundary safety, he's going to really have two different demeanors. He's going to have a pedal demeanor, so his feet are slightly staggered, and that's going to tell the quarterback, hey, this guy's got a, a pretty good shot based on his stance, his demeanor, that he's in coverage. He might be a half-field player. He might be rolling to the middle of the field. He might be pedaling in a quarter's look, whatever the case may be. The other demeanor would be flat-footed. That's telling me that this guy is coming down as a force player. He's potentially a skim player off, off of the C-gap. Maybe he's responsible to match two vertical, but he's, he's coming down. He ain't going anywhere. And then the second part of it, the E, the eyes, are certainly your best man zone indicators. You know, his eyes are staring directly at number two. Hey, we got a pretty good shot. This guy's in man coverage. The guy's eyes are glimpsing in toward the quarterback. He's glimpsing out towards number one. Uh, those are giving the quarterback zone indicators. And then the L word, leverage, is we're going we're gonna to identify his leverage in two ways, his leverage from the line of scrimmage and his leverage from that boundary hash. And we use a 10-by-2 barometer for that. So, you know, if that guy's within 10 yards, uh, it's telling us that he has a closer leverage and or proximity to the line of scrimmage. And, the, hey, man, that sucker's coming down. He's beyond 10 yards, and he's two yards or more outside the hash. We're saying, hey, he's involved with the boundary and coverage in some, in some capacity. 
fact there. And certainly formations are going to dictate some of those as well. So that same identification process, the Dell evaluation is going to go to the field safety uh, and then obviously progress to the overhang. And we're looking for a couple different things with those players. Uh, but without getting into too much detail, I would say that the overhang defender typically is the greatest man indicator for the quarterback because he's typically the, a little bit of the lesser coverage guy, right? He's that hybrid nickel linebacker kind of body, you know, and, and certainly that, that that guy's being told that, hey, if you are in man coverage, you get aligned properly to cover that fast slot receiver and, and, and understand where your help is. And certainly is a great, is a great indicator uh, of man coverage for the quarterbacks. And then I would just take it a step further saying that I teach my guys we never use corners. You know, cornerbacks can lie to you. They're typically never involved with a run fit. Uh, they typically have a, a, a one singular job within that particular defensive structure. So we really focus on those three, those three players. And back to, to, to preface kind of your initial question, those are things that I absolutely grind the quarterbacks on. And, and then, you know, certainly as guys are disguising, we're teaching the quarterback about his stance about showing hands. Sometimes I use the, I use the term that, that you know, you, you're going to have to use some Peyton Manning theatrics, so to speak, because, you know, you're going to have to get one of those guys to show you something. And typically in game planning, you can find the guy too. You know, hey, this guy's a little unsettling or, hey, he's a younger player. He's just trying to get to his spot. And then going back to even, even earlier in our conversation that I think tempo and your ability to use tempo also helps the quarterback from identification standpoints, you know, and, and as you're changing tempos, those back end players are a lot less confident to disguise. They just, they want to get aligned. So they're not getting yelled at, you know, so those, those three things and, and the pre-snap checklist, those three players are, are something that I'm grinding the guys on and even veteran quarterbacks, Keith, and you know, this, they'll, they'll try to cheat it. You know, they, they get up and they've already determined where they're going to go with the football and coach, I, man, I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And I say, typically, when you get up and you start guessing, your efficiency as a quarterback begins to slip because you're going to get away with a couple. You're going to hit a couple passes and think you got it all figured out. But the quarterback that's diligent, that has the ability to, to be disciplined with that pre-snap checklist consistently is going to be very, very efficient. And, and I tell them, you are rarely going to see all three players. You know, a, a great quarterback is always going to start his eyes on that boundary safety, but he's going to be able to peripherally feel the string that's attached to those other two players and understand how that rotation and, and, and how those different things are playing out. So, but those three things and all my quarterbacks would tell you that, and, and really as a coordinator and as a quarterback guy, if you go back and watch your film at any, any three level, man, those three players can tell you a lot and really help the quarterback identify where to go with the football. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I know we, in most of what we were doing, really could find much of what we needed from that boundary safety and then confirmation out of those other two. But if we could really understand some things about him, his initial alignment, uh, some things in his demeanor, using cadence to, to get him to start to show, you know, he's leaning. Is he leaning back? Cause he's going back. Do you see him kind of moving forward as your false cadence? Did he open his hip slightly? You know, he's not going to hold his water if you're able to use, cadence really well because he has to get somewhere right i mean he's he's going to show you what he's right. doing the the funny thing as you mentioned you know doing peyton manning theatrics and we installed this kind of whole concept with our quarterbacks uh somewhere around 2011 12 maybe i'm not i'm not quite sure what year it was 
but I played in the meeting, so they really got the idea, a video on YouTube, and it was called uh, Just Just Snap the Damn Ball, and it was all about Peyton Manning and all the different things that he does to move people, and, you know, that stuff's real. I mean, him, I could think, you know, some of those other quarterbacks out there use Cadence so well, and they do studies on it in the NFL. Those guys, I mean, they're breaking down everything, and they know how they're they're going to get their opponents to move. Uh, they know what snap counts were most effective, or or um, you know false cadences, or whatever they might be. And I think you'll agree with this when you're able to keep those things out on the field rather than looking over to the sidelines, especially with you know today what what defenses have responded with to you know tempo to up tempo offenses to, to offenses who look over. Uh, you might look over and change something because you saw it as a coach. When you come back, it's going to be different. And and you actually you gave them the chalk last. So keeping it on the field, I think, is, yep. is such a yep. huge key. And, you know, I, I love that idea of, you know, the theatrics. And, you know, the, the, those guys at first are timid with it, but then they start having fun, right? Then they realize, hey, this is this is pretty cool to do this. This is pretty fun. And, you know, we had some simple tools that, allowed our line to know when we were going and when we were trying to identify something. And it worked out really well in helping us be efficient in our passing game. Just snap the damn ball. I just wrote that down. I got to show my guys <laughs> that I, I love it. You know, and I, and I think too, like the, the, the evolution of the quarterback and, and listen, I'm going to tell you all this. I mean, your guys got to have some talent. I mean, if you're, if you don't have talent to throw the football or run the football at the quarterback position, it's not rocket science. You're 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 going to be hunting for answers and searching for yards every single week. So that guy's got to have a little bit of moxie to him. But you know, I say within the theatrics and the pre-snap checklist, the great quarterbacks very quickly in the process start to make it their own. And I want my guys to make it their own. They may have different theatrics. They may have different little cues and words that they're using to give themselves information. And you know, you've got something special when that young man makes a significant throw or, or big conversion and comes back to the sideline and you asked him, he said, Oh, why, how did you see that? That was a great job. He said, well, coach, I saw this guy move here and this did that. And I said, I said, Hey buddy, just keep doing it. <laughs> just keep yeah. doing that. Cause you, yeah. you saw it and I didn't, you know, you exactly. saw it and I did. And you, and you, you made that play on your own just based on, on, on some, some veteran, you know, moxie out there. So, and you want to see that, you know, you want to see that. So it's, and that's exciting. I think as a coach, when those things start to pop up. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, this podcast now becomes recon on what you guys are doing on each side of the ball, but I had a defensive coordinator on the other day talking about, you know, the, the little keys they're picking up on in film and what the quarterback's doing to, so they know when is he really ready Right. And he he pointed out an example of, you know, one quarterback who when he put his mouthpiece back in, that's when he was really going. Right. And that was always the cue that the the cadence is live after that. So you, you have to be very cognizant of that. It does have to be worked in practice. It can't just be worked in a game. If you're going to do it in a game, it should be the exact same thing in practice. And then the consistency across situation cross run and pass when you're using those things has to be the same where you're tipping things off hey man i couldn't agree with you more and i i've often just defensive coordinators i worked with i know our guy here keith dudzinski who just went to michigan an excellent defensive coordinator and and i and him and i would have these conversations i say when you're watching tape 
it's amazing how quarterback coaches can let this slip. And we're all guilty of it as you get into the thick and thin of a season. But quarterbacks, even in the shotgun, will change their stance slightly based on run and pass. And sometimes Mm -hmm. as a coach, it it slips on you because you're looking at the big picture. And and all of a sudden I said, you you know, his right foot's up and it's a run. His left foot's up, it's a pass. Well, if I'm a defensive coach and I just simply know if it's a run or pass, I mean, holy buckets, you talk about change of the dynamic of your call and change of the dynamics of a game. So I do, I do agree with you, Keith. I think as a quarterback coach and a coordinator to be very, very cued in on those little things with the quarterback, because we all do, you know, Hey, a receiver uh, split gives something away or, you know, the offensive tackle begins to rise up in his stance and it gives pass away. I, some of those things I think I can live with, but the quarterback, man, you, he has got to be the same on every single time and, and really be the, the master of, of disguise within that chess match. That's exactly it. And I will link for our listeners that YouTube video of Peyton Manning. And I also have one uh, back from in season, I think, where I talked about finding indicators in a defense and uh, just a short YouTube video we'll link in our show notes as well. So coach, moving things on, right? Uh, let's look at the game planning side. You know, I can think in situations I've been in, and a lot of these were more earlier in my career when I didn't have control of it as a, a coordinator that there can be some, you know, whatever day it is for you, some Saturdays or some Sundays that get pretty frustrating because of the inefficiency of it. So for you, how do you game plan efficiently? Wow, I, I love that. I love that word efficiently. And, and, and much like you, Keith, sometimes you got to learn these things, you know, the hard way, whether you're calling plays or not. But I, I do remember early in my career, it was about plays, finding plays and, and being in that room Sunday and Monday and, and looking at your game plan board and having triple digit plays up there and all different kind of great stuff and getting to the end of the week and realize that you hadn't repped a lot of it. You, you know, you came up with something at 10 o'clock at night that stayed on the board and all of a sudden it got the scripting and you're scratching your head like, what the heck were we thinking with this? So when I was hired at Fordham, it had, it, Joe Moore had, had just left for Penn State and really the way that they were game planning, it really, for me personally, was very revolutionary. And it was, it was very, very efficient. It was very tidy. And I would preface what I'm about to tell everybody that, that, you know, if you study Joe Moorhead, now who's at Oregon, you know, Joe's only going to be in about five formations every game. He's not a big motion guy. And his philosophy behind that is that he wants to know what the defense is in. You know, a simple motion from two by two to three by one can change the structure dramatically for a defense. And he said, listen, I, I don't care if they know what I'm in. I want to know what they're in to get the right play called my philosophy offensively is probably you know i'm a little more formation based and motion and things like that but long story short when we go into a we begin our game plan it's very important for me to work with our gas and quality control assistants to make sure that each first and second down cut up has no more than 25 plays in it you know we use a three or four game break to game plan much like everyone else does you know, depending on where we're at in the season. But I really challenge those guys and I work with those guys and say, listen, I, I want 25 plays in this cut up. Let's just say it's a, a regular 11 personnel, two by two Y off. And that's where we begin our game planning. Just a nice, even formation. It's the first thing that we look at as a staff. And I want you guys to make that cut up without skewing the numbers and the percentages, right? So, okay, well, you pulled that four game break and there were 36 plays and you just chopped it. 11 plays off there well that doesn't do us any good you've got to look at it and say you know okay well cover six is the lead here it still has to be the lead but let's find 
let's find 11 plays we can chop out of this without without skewing this percentages so we go through that we watch that that cut up together as a staff and then I'm going to have my run game coordinator give his ideas I'm going to give uh, my pass game coordinator the, the opportunity to present his ideas I'm going to put my ideas and we're going to put that on the board and we're going to go through that with every formation so I don't know that that's too revolutionary what I thought Moorhead did a great job of and that what we do now at Albany that I really love is, is what we call the cutting process. So we go through that game plan and it's all up on the board and we begin a cutting process on Monday evening. And I would preface this by saying, again, just to build on what I said earlier, everything is about the quarterback. So I want to make sure that every play on that board, I'm going to be able to give the quarterback two to three looks at that play in practice per week. I want to give him, hey, here's the juicy look, right? Here's exactly what we schemed up for. Here's the look where you're going to have to get to what I call an NBT, your next best thing. It might be a secondary read. It might be a check down. And then I'm going to give him the third look that's just nasty. But like, listen, this is just a bad look. You do got an out on this. Or listen, you're going to have to check the play, whatever the case may be. And, and for me, within our practice structure here at UAlbany, that means that in your first and second down calls, you really cannot have more than 55 plays up on that board. And there's some weeks that we've got 65 up there. There's some weeks that we've got 85 up there. And that's going to make that cutting process that much more difficult. But we are going to be very um, cutthroat, so to speak, with the cutting process. And so we're going to begin as a staff all the way back to the first formation we started on. And we're going to start with all the base runs and see where they're showing up in multiple formations. So, for example, hey, we've got counter in four different formations, four different ways. Do we need it? No, we don't need this one. Chop it. We don't need this one. Chop it. Hey, you know what? The percentages play out more in our favor to run it out of three by one Y off this week. Boom. Let's keep that one. Okay. On to the next run. And so that takes some time. But, man, when that gets down to it, you've now created a very tight game plan, a very efficient game plan to go into the Tuesday installation meetings with. And then I say every coordinator should really judge that first and second down game plan by how the staff and how the quarterbacks feel about it on Thursday and Friday. What I mean by that, Keith, is that I really feel that by Friday, just about every coach on our staff should be able to call the game plan. I mean, literally, we should be able, that call sheet should be printed out and every guy from the O-line coach to the tight end coach to the running back coach should say, hey, you know, hey, if we're in three-by-one Y off, here's, here's the plays we're running. By Friday, the quarterbacks in our, in our final game plan meeting can look at it and say, yep, 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 saw this, saw this, saw this. I know exactly why we're doing this, and we're ready to go to work. And I just think that creates such an unbelievable confidence on the offensive staff and the quarterback room going into Saturdays. And, you know, third down and red zone and coming out, I, you know, those are probably a little bit different discussions, and I can expand more on that, you know, but, but in terms of the first and second down game plan, we are really tight where we've gone into many, many games this, this past season with literally 50 calls on that game plan. And you even look at our game sheet, there's probably more white paper, white open space on there than there are plays. And I think it, it just gives everyone a great amount of confidence and has and really kind of revolutionized my thought on game planning. You know, you hear... I think some of the best offensive coordinators talk about that exact same thing. I know we've had Noel Mazzoni on here talking about that. We've had Phil Longo on here talking about that. We'll link both of those 
uh, podcast in our show notes as well. And I couldn't agree with you more about limiting those calls for us, what we did at BW. And I, I knew how to use Excel very well. And so we created this spreadsheet. And the first sheet was called the Game Plan Board. And it had all those situations listed and a certain amount of plays for each situation, as well as expected defense against them. And we could list up to three defenses against those certain calls, left hash, right hash, all those things. Now, what it did then, when you talk about efficiency, is after we put it in the game plan board, it populated our scripts for the week for, you know, at the time, inside run, Skelly, team, and it also populated our call sheet for that. Now, we can make tweaks over the course of the week, and it would update. But basically, once we were done putting those things in, I think we would do on Sunday, we'd do the base stuff. And then on Monday, we would put our situational stuff. We would have all, the, all those calls. I believe on ours, I don't know why I'm thinking it, but the, the number was definitely in that area between 55, 56, and let's say 64 but I know with us, a lot of those calls that we would use in base were pulled down and, and repeated. We might dress them or we might just say, that we also like this here. It's a good play here. Here's where we would use it as well. So so in that, it was still a very limited set, definitely under 55 calls in what we would use. But that was one of the best things we did because sure. there was no, and you know, we can add one more because... If we did, it wouldn't get scripted, and we weren't going to redo that Excel sheet because it took it took me like a full week of just in the office on my own putting that together, putting that Excel sheet together, testing it out, and making sure I had the right amount of reps for things. Right. And you know, you talk about efficiency. I think that really helped. I know I have, I've had coaches asking me about it. I'll put it up somewhere for coaches to uh, to get. I, th- I just think it's a great tool. Nothing necessarily rev- revolutionary about the the piece of software it is. I see people trying to sell that to coaches everywhere. I'll, I'll throw it out there for free and I'll send you a copy of it. But it really, that really helped us, that process. And then having a tool that forced it even more, I think that really, really enhances that cutting process so that you walk away with, this is what we're going to do. I, I love the fact, I love the fact that you're, that I'm hearing that you're using Excel because I'm a, I'm a big believer in it as well. We, we use that as a staff wholeheartedly and, and obviously within the Google Drive, using that so it's live populated all the time and guys can, those scripts populate, guys can look at it. And I think within that cutting process and then within the Google Drive and Excel, what I've found is that Monday night and even Tuesday morning before coaches are going to go into their individual meetings to install, it's creating some, some extra detailed discussion and questions for me as the coordinator and for the position coaches. So for an example, a receiver coach may come to me and say, Joe, exactly how is the quarterback going to read this concept this week? Or, hey, do we want to stem this release on this dig this week? Or do we want to keep it straight line? And it just right off the bat, bam, we're on the same page. Or, you know, as a coordinator, sometimes it's forcing you to question something on your own. Say, boy, do we really want to do that? Uh, is that breaking his rule? Is that making it tougher on the player? And those little nuances that I think are cleaned up early in the week allow allow practice, allow meetings to go more efficiently. It's less questioning. It's less adjustments. I, you know, I I just I'm not I'm not a really a big fan of on Wednesday and Thursday 
adding and pulling things in and out of the game plan. Does it happen? Certainly. We all, that's our responsibility is to, is to make this game plan uh, as efficient as we can for the players. But I want that thing as clean and as tight as we can early in the week. And so every day you're progressing as an offense and obviously building up to, to Saturday. Yeah. And I think, you know, you definitely, you have to build it around the quarterback as you're going through the cutting process. But as, as the play caller, you have to be honest with everybody who's giving the input to thoughts on what they should do. And, and, you know, I'm big on empowering guys, but, but at the, at the end of the day, if we throw something up there and you're not comfortable as the play caller, even if you've been talked into keeping up there, most likely that won't get called or it'll get called one time in the game. And and you've just wasted all those reps prepping it. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Every play caller has got a, puzzle so to speak of that particular game plan in his head and that that piece of the puzzle has got to fit or the comfortability is not going to be there and I and I I love the fact that you use the word empower because I think it's so it's so special and and you know at times that you haven't been a play caller that you want your voice to be heard and you feel like you can bring something to the table and I want that to be all inclusive in our room where by the time we get to Friday nobody remembers whose idea it was anyway it's on the sheet. We're all on the same page with it. We know why we're doing it. We know where the snakes are, if there are in that particular call or that particular adjustment, and we, and we can move ahead. Well, Coach, again, the emphasis you've mentioned a couple times now is, is building this thing around the quarterback. So we talked about that in terms of the game planning. But as you're going into a season, as you're looking at you know, this is more than just one quarterback because I think you have to have a plan for every quarterback who's, who's uh, on your roster and at least maybe in the three deep. That definitely that number two is how do you how do you figure out and build the passing game around what he does best? No, oh, that's a great question, and you know, and I and I would say this, and I'm I'm a big believer in this, and I know Keith, you have so many great coaches on this on this podcast, and I've listened to so many guys with differing views, and it's amazing how different people can be so productive and sometimes using completely different ideas than your own. But I am a, I am a big believer in dividing the field for the quarterback, especially in the drop back pass game. And, and uh, even within the quick game type stuff is it's the old adage that uh, if you try to see everything, you're probably not going to see anything. We in our quarterback room, and I have for some time created our own quarterback language so we use certain buzzwords and, and little phrases and sentences. I, I believe as a teacher, great teachers can use these buzzwords and phrases and have, and have the players reiterate them back. Tells you that they're learning something, that they're processing. And what I use all the time is that, you know, I, a big no-no in our quarterback room is, is the quarterback that goes primary to primary, meaning that he read a concept on his left. For whatever reason, he didn't like it and his eyes went all the way back to the right, and he tried to hit that concept, and typically bad things are going to happen. Uh, we use a term in our room called re-triggering. Re-triggering is a big no-no. You know, when you see a quarterback go to throw, he second-guesses himself, he brings the ball back into the cradle and tries to throw another pass. Again, if you played the percentages, typically when a guy re-triggers, bad things are going to happen. So within our passing game, we are going to try to divide the field by creating read categories. And what I mean by that is that when we create these read categories, it's going to uh, allow you throughout the course of 
of the season to really build in any kind of concept that you want. As long as you can fit it into that read category, immediately the quarterback says, oh, coach, I know exactly how we're reading this. Okay, so from a very basic standpoint, and a lot of people probably do this, hey, quarterback, this read category is one high, two high. Okay, and to me, the greatest indicator of a one high or a two high coverage is the boundary safety. Right. So if if, uh, if this coverage goes one high, you're going to work this side. If it goes too high, you're going to work this side. We would take it a step further and create a read category called man zone. OK. And hey, if it's man, you're going here. If it's zone, you're going here and you're dividing it. We would then have a uh, read category that we call access, no access. And typically, these are, are based around field access reads that are defined by the field safety. If the field safety is playing inside the field hash, that is telling the quarterback, hey, I have field access, and this particular concept is going to attack that. The field safety pops off of that hash in a cloud situation that's telling you that you have no access, and now you're going to read the boundary concept, whatever that may be. We take it a step further that we have a read category called CWAPs. We call them called with a purpose, meaning that this is probably some sort of shot play some sort of kind of bluff dummy bubble and go or something like that where the quarterback says, Hey, coach is calling this. We're trying to get the hitter here. And I'm really going to try to get, get this, get this play hit down the field, or I've got one little check down, or maybe the ball's going out of bounds. If it's a max protected deal, whatever the case may be. So all those type of things uh, really help us. You know, we have a read category called true progressional where I say, listen, this is a non coverage based, progressional read you're literally quarterback you're reading this route to this route to this route okay so those are some examples Keith and then I would take it a step further saying within these read categories there are a couple things I think that have really helped us over the years at all the schools I've been at two different things the first thing is building in a hitch count for the quarterback on all these concepts okay so for for example a basic triangle read okay everyone's got some kind of high low interior read you know hey we're going to high low the mike linebacker here with a shallow crosser underneath him and a basic or dig behind him you know everyone's kind of got these and then you you know a triangle whatever you want to call it so for us when we're in the shotgun we use a footwork simulation that we call big three and that that shallow crosser is going to be a one hitch throw non-negotiably okay so if you cannot define where that mike linebacker is on the first hitch um, you're not throwing the shallow, you're going to actually take a second hitch and push past it into that second level read. The other thing the, the, that would define these read categories for the quarterback and help them would be that within the read categories, we're going to give him a movement key. Very simply, you're throwing field smash and the read category is access, no access, and you've got a corner by two and a hitch by one. Well, the movement key is the field corner, not rocket science. And we are going to throw that field hitch on rhythm, meaning no hitch. And we're going to throw the corner route on one hitch. And so really repping that hitch count, defining the movement keys within the read categories. I, I, I don't want to sound like it's complicated because I don't want to make it sound complicated. But to me, this is, this is all about building a system and training the quarterback. And we use the term all the time or the phrase, you know, let your footwork dictate your clock meaning that you, you cannot throw, you know, in our offense, you cannot throw a curl on two hitches. You're late. You cannot throw a field hitch on one hitch. You're late. You're going to get jumped. And so now all the reads and all your drills 
everything is built around the read categories, the footwork timing, and the movement keys within those particular read categories. And now when you get that cooking, Keith, as you know, man, you got something special because the quarterbacks are able to reiterate those things. They understand the, the, the why of the drills that you're doing. Um, and then also it gives them the ability on film to begin to self-correct. You know, uh, the backup quarterback can watch the starter and say, and I can say, hey, Keith, what, what's, what, what's your evaluation of Johnny here? Well, coach, he's a hitch late and he re-triggered that throw. Boom, man, that's like music to my ears because it tells me that they're self-correcting and they understand the why of what we're doing and how they're seeing it on the video. It's really, really special to me. And, I, you know, it, it, and I, I'm not going to lie, I do think it takes some time on the front end. But once you get cooking with that, I think, I think you got something special. Uh, I love that idea. And I want to put some notes here for our listeners and show notes. There's a, a podcast with Dan Gonzalez we did on navigation tags. We'll link that in the show notes as well. Kind of very similar to what you talked about with those categories. Just another method of doing it. And there's two about calibrating the passing game. One was in a series I did with Rob Everett on um, called The Edge, where we talked about just using a stopwatch to, to calibrate things. And I think I did one myself on calibrating the passing game. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, the, the buzzword I would always say is, uh, move your eyes and feet through the progression and everything was calibrated that you know and basically when you think about it if you're throwing in a in a five-step game you know we always classify basically a five-step as if it was under center which nobody does anymore but in that in that drop back passing game uh, a pass that's going to be thrown right, in rhythm right. is a 1.8 to 2.2 and this is something homer smith came up with in the 70s every hit step is going to add I, I believe it's 0.4 I have those details in uh, that podcast. And so really you want to buy your, after your second hit step, if that ball is not thrown, it's time to look for an escape plan, which we would always practice as well. So I'll link those because I think you're in the, in the same boat. And the, the part I share within that podcast is it really becomes neat to how these guys actually have a feel for timing by watching film and even on the field and how fast they got the ball off. And, you know, I would stand back there, Definitely spring and, and early parts of camp and even check them throughout the season with a stopwatch, stand behind them. And, you know, after they let their throw go, I'd say, hey, what was that? What was your release time? And they'd be able to tell me within a tenth of a second. And, you know, it's it's something that when we start camp with the freshmen in there the first time, they kind of marvel at these guys. They think they're human stopwatches that they can get within a tenth. But then they start to understand the calibration of it. So um, I'll share both of those links. The other thing, I guess the question I had is, I, I love those categories and it makes sense. Do you install or do you in practice, do in practice uh, things a certain way as far as that organizes those concepts so that those guys have it within the framework of their thinking that, you know, this is, you know, a throw with purpose or I can't, I can't remember what exactly you call that one, but you get the idea. Yeah. Called with a purpose, you know, we call them CWAPs, but a hundred percent. And what I would say, and this is the way that I've installed for a while, and, I, and every year I, I become a little bit more convinced of it, that I'm going to give in our day one install, um, and I don't think this is revolutionary, Keith, but I want to give the quarterbacks a taste of each of those read categories on day one, and so we can really build it. You know, like uh, we, we broke down our, our uh, film last, from last season, our cutups. The amount of times that we ran two-by-two two mirrored smash, I mean, literally it was like two or three times. But it's still a day one install 
because I want the quarterback on day one to have the ability to make a perimeter high-low read, which is the cornerback. I want the quarterback to uh, be taught and have the ability to execute a, a flat curl read. Okay, so you're just tracking that flat defender on a flat curl read. And then I want them to have an interior high-low. So some sort of interior triangle on, you know, the will or the Mike linebacker, whatever the case may be. And then we have one four vertical concept, which I call vertical rules. So on day one, it gives me the ability to teach all four of those particular reads. And each of those plays may fall into a different read category. And now we can begin to build. Now we can begin to make things more intricate or, or we can expand on it. And also gives you the ability to really match up your individual drills with the initial installation of your offense, which to me is, is so important. And I know you've had guys on your podcast talk about it, but I really want the quarterbacks to understand something I call a progression of practice. We are not doing these drills to put on YouTube and, and make a Nike coaches clinic. These drills should be applicable and show up to the group time. What we're doing in group time should begin to show up to the team time and then the team time obviously is going to progress to Saturdays and the great quarterbacks and the great players and great offenses are going to understand that as, as well as the coaches. And I do believe as a coordinator that you, you know, you, you should be harping your coaches to make sure that individual drills are, are lining up with those installs. Absolutely. Well, coach, I know you are up against a time deadline here. You got a staff zoom meeting uh, coming up, which I think everybody now is on Zoom. Zoom has to be loving this right now. I should have bought stock in Zoom, I'm sure. No doubt. Uh, but last question for you, as I do with all our guests, you know, incredible things you're doing here to develop quarterbacks, proofs in the pudding. You get, you've been able to do this at three levels now. But, you know, that aside, on or off the field, what's the the number one thing you do that gives your players the winning edge? Well, I would absolutely say relationships, and I and I would say this, Keith, and this is a this is kind of a quote that that I have taken from Mike Swatter at Wheaton College, and our head coach Greg Catuso believes in this wholeheartedly too. And I and I would challenge every coach to think like this: rules without relationships equals rebellion. Rules with relationships equals response. And I know some guys have heard that put maybe in different ways, but um, absolutely from day one. I want these quarterbacks and these players to know that I love them. I want these guys to, I always say, I want you walking into our meeting room smiling. No one is ever going to come in here on eggshells, whether we threw five touchdowns or whether we turned it over five times. I want you guys to enjoy playing football. It's why all of us got into this game in the first place, because it was fun. And the minute that it stops becoming fun, uh, the minute that the players feel that you're not trying to be intentional about developing a relationship with them, they're going to begin to rebel. And it also allows me to ride those quarterbacks a little bit because they know that I'm trying to make them great. It's not a personal attack. And, and so I think that that has just been an absolute forefront. I hope I never lose it. I hope that's something that can be passed down to coaches coming through it when all of us get so caught up in scheme and plays and RPOs and all these type of things. But to me, Keith, the winning edge absolutely is relationships. Coach, I, I love it. I love that quote. For our listeners out there, uh, real quick, uh, share the areas you recruit and where they might see you out on the road when we're allowed to get back out on the road. Yeah, I love I appreciate you saying that. You know, my primary area uh, here at New Albany is the city of Philadelphia and the eastern Pennsylvania suburbs. Of course, I'm recruiting quarterbacks nationally. 
Uh, and then my second my two secondary areas are uh, kind of my, my home, my home roots, you know, Metro Detroit and in uh, all of Chicago land. So, you know, I, I just appreciate what you're doing here, man. I mean, the, the podcast that you got cooking is unbelievable. I'm sure you've heard it, but you created a lot of buzz guys talking about this podcast and guys that, you know, if, if even come into our meetings and saying, Hey, I just listened to the coaching coordinator and I heard this guy talk about this or talk about that. It's, it's really cool to see. And especially at, in the times that we're in right now, it's just really an awesome resource for coaches. I really appreciate that. And I'm humbled by it. I mean, the, the thing is this podcast is about guys like you being willing to come on and, and our great listeners. So again, thank you to you. Thank you to all those guys. Coach, one last thing, just share your Twitter handle so guys can get in touch with you. Yeah, at Coach J- Joe Davis uh, on Twitter and uh, try to be pretty pretty active on there. And, uh, you know, certainly whenever things uh, calm down here, you know, anybody in the Northeast or anywhere, you know, we love to talk ball and love to come up and, and talk quarterback play. And, and I think uh, even as we have had staffs come in, and you know this, Keith, when you're good on offense, everyone wants to come and clinic with you. When you struggle on offense, no one wants to come see you. But uh, we've had some some coaches come into clinic with us, and I think they've left our staff room, and we've probably learned as much from them as they've learned from us. And I think that's the beautiful thing about our game is is being able yeah. to share those things. So look forward to hearing from any anybody anytime that, that wants to talk football. All right, Coach. Thanks again, and, and stay safe. Okay, Keith. Thanks again, man. Have a great day. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please. Push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Uh, Check it out, all of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.